This week, we are jumping into part three of our Just Go series. And for those of you who have been a part of the past few weeks, what you know is that this series is a series focused on evangelism. And I know for a lot of us, the question has been, why evangelism and why right now? How does it make sense for you as a church to spend and invest five weeks teaching us, training us, equipping us to more meaningfully share the gospel when we're in pandemic mode? And and even broader than that, I want to share that not only is our objective to train, equip our saints for evangelism in an effective and meaningful way, but on top of that, we want to communicate how to do that in a way that you're actually going to enjoy. And I know that seems crazy to even imagine it. Wait, I might envision myself doing it because you guys are arm twisting me into this or telling or guilt tripping me that God commands us to do it, so I'm going to, but to actually enjoy it, and I'm like, Two weeks ago, we started uh, with teaching on the hideous gospel. I had a chance to share with you during that time how evangelism isn't a comfortable topic for any of us, really. Uh, few of us really enjoy the idea of sharing the gospel or even actually going out and sharing the gospel. And part of the reason for that is because the gospel inherently has an a, um, unpopular and a bit and sometimes offensive message and that message is you're not good enough that's a message at the heart of the gospel and there's no way around it and it's a it's a very offensive message in our cultural context in our world today it sounds insulting and demeaning who is even god to say that i'm not good enough and yet that truth is at the heart of the gospel story in the in the book of ephesians chapter 2 god says for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and this is not of yourselves it is the gift of god not by works so no one can boast and what god is declaring in this or reminding us or charging us with is this idea that eternal life salvation with god is not earned no matter how good you are or how good you might think you are or how much good you do it will never be good enough to earn salvation that is the story of the gospel there's no one righteous not even one that is the offensive truth at the heart of the gospel story and people in the world don't like it they most won't accept this and yet it is something that we're commanded to share obey God and awkwardly share the gospel or disobey God and keep the peace. For many of us, that is the unresolved dilemma that we face when we imagine evangelism. Then last week, Andrew shared how the first step in effective evangelism begins with relationship. That's the example that Jesus set and is the important thing that Jesus came to do. I mean, if I want you to imagine God stepping into time, having this incredible eternal agenda to save the world and over the course of his three years of ministry his first priority was always people he created space he made room in his life and ministry for people and as christ followers if we're to follow the example of jesus we need to do the same to be able to create space in our lives to create margin in order to be a part of reaching this week, I want to talk about health. If I've done the hard work 
of creating margin and creating space in my life for non-Christians. I've got relationships with them. I've spent time with them. We talk about sports. We talk about clothes. We talk about hobbies. We talk about different interests and relationships. And yeah, it's usually in short bursts. They're not always long conversations. Many times we don't even talk about religion or Jesus, but we have good conversations nonetheless. Now what? I've done that part. What happens next? How do I move forward? That's the question I want to answer today. And I want to help you. I want to start off by helping you do so. That's, not, that's a question we're going to spend the next three weeks tackling. So it's not all going to hit today. But I want to start today by teaching you a skill that I'm willing to bet most of you have never taken the time to cultivate. It's a skill that's the key to good listening. It's a skill that's key to building great friendships. It's the key to great marriages. And it's a vital part of effective evangelism. You interested? That skill is the skill of being present. Being present. So let me start off by defining what that means to be present. Being present means I give my complete attention to the here and now. I give my complete attention to the here and now. What does that mean? It means that my mind, my body, and my spirit are all in the same place. It means that in, what, in this given moment, I am making the most of it. That's what being present means. It means I'm giving my fullest attention to whomever or whatever is in my focus at the moment. That's what it means to be present. And being present is a skill we all develop. It's not a gift anyone is born with. A number of years ago, uh, the brilliant writer C.S. Lewis, who wrote The Lion, The Witch, and the Wardrobe series, he wrote another book uh, titled The Screwtape Letters. And in that book, he shares this idea that I'm going to communicate. And that idea, so you understand it, is written from the perspective of a demon named Screwtape about his enemy, who is God. Okay, so it's written from the perspective of a demon who declares his enemy is God. That's the only way to understand this quote. So here it is from C.S. Lewis. It says, the humans live in time, but our enemy, God, destines them to eternity. He, God again, therefore, I believe, wants them to attend chiefly to two things, to eternity itself and to that point in time which they call the present. For the present is the point at which time touches eternity. He continues on by saying, and I'm sorry, this is a longer quote, so stay with me. Our business, again, talk a worm, I'm sorry, uh, Screwtape is talking to his nephew, Wormtongue, who is another um, demon. Our business is to get them away from the eternal and from the present. With this in view, we sometimes test or tempt a human, say a widow or a scholar, to live in the past. But this is of limited value, for they have some real knowledge of the past, and it has a determinate nature, and to that extent resembles eternity. It is far better to make them live in the future. The future inflames hope and fear. Also, it is unknown to them. So then in making them think about it, we make them think of unreality. In a word, the future is, of all things, the thing least like eternity. 
it is the most completely temporal part of time. For the past is frozen and no longer flows, and the present is all lit up with eternal rays. Hence, nearly all vices are rooted in the future. Gratitude looks to the past and love to the present. Fear, avarice, lust, and ambition look ahead. That's an interesting passage. For some of you, maybe it got lost because it's a really long passage, and so I'll explain it a little bit. The idea behind C.S. Lewis's wickedly clever book, right, The Screwtape Letters, is it's written as a series of letters. So that's how you read it. It's written as a series of letters written by uh, a demon whose name is Screwtape to his nephew and his fellow demon, Wormwood. And Screwtape is teaching his nephew, Wormwood, the finer points of how to corrupt humans and how to corrupt human nature, the human soul. And they're experimenting uh, on this unfortunate soul known only as the patient. And in this passage, what Screwtape is writing Wormwood and telling him is one of the key ways to corrupt the human soul is to have them focus on either the past or the future, but not the present, and preferably have them focus on the future. But by all means, do everything you can to keep them focused on eternity, which would lead them to consider God, or on the present, which is where eternity meets time. One final quote, and then we'll move into the relevance of this. The final quote is, uh, we want, it's later on in the book, we want a whole race perpetually in pursuit of the rainbow's ends, never honest, nor kind, nor happy now, but always using as mere fuel wherewith to heap the altar of the future, every real gift which is already offered them in the present. And I love what C.S. Lewis does here. What he's doing is he's pointing to one of the failings of mankind. When, and the, that failing of mankind is we don't know how to focus on the present. Our eyes all too often drift to the past and to the future. We don't know how to consistently keep our eyes on the present. And yet it's the present and on eternity where God wants us to focus our attention. It's in the present that God offers us his greatest gift. It's in the present that there are opportunities for lives to actually be changed. And Jesus agrees. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus shares these words. Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 34, where he says, So don't worry about these things, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. You know, most of the time when we share these passages in church, the main point, the central point we pull out is this is what the kingdom of God is like. But what Jesus also does that all too often we miss is Jesus is also making this connection between the kingdom of God and focusing on today. And Jesus observes, just like C.S. Lewis does, that too many of us spend our time worrying and obsessing about the future when God's charge is to simply focus on today. Be present. So what does this have to do with evangelism? Help us out here, Frank. 
evangelism is sharing the gospel. It's sharing the good news of Jesus dying for our sins, being buried, and rising from the dead three days later to conquer death. And anyone who puts their trust in Christ will receive forgiveness and will receive the gift of eternal life. That is the gospel and evangelism is sharing that message, sharing that good news with others. Ideally, at the right time and in the right way so they might receive it. That's what evangelism is. Effective evangelism considers what might be that right time and what might be that best way. Does that make sense? And that's what we're going to focus on today. So quick commercial break. Uh, kids, I'm giving you heads up. It's been about 15 minutes, and it's now time for you to start wrapping up. You still got about five minutes, parents, to send it in. Actually, a bit less, like three minutes to send it in. So parents, don't panic. Uh, just get your kids to wrap up. Make sure they've got a little name slip on there. Take a picture, and please send it in to awakenqna at gmail.com. And kids, I cannot wait to see what you've done in creating this illustration picture about time. And I'm excited about how we're going to use what you have put together to teach, train, and equip the church. So uh, as parents and kids are doing that, uh, a number of years ago, I think it was in 2015, I had a chance to teach. No, it was after that. It was uh, 2017. I had a chance to teach a series on the Sabbath life. And during that series, I shared that uh, there are two Greek words that God uses for time in the scriptures, uh, but both mean very different things. The two words are chronos and kairos. Chronos is clock time. It's measurable, it's linear. It's God's way of making sure everything doesn't happen all at once. So it's chronos would be seconds, minutes, hours, years, when we talk about how many years of life we might have left, we're using chronos time. When we're thinking about retirement, we're thinking about chronos time, right? Uh, we all live in chronos time, and we all have a limited amount of it. Kairos is the other word used for time, but kairos examines a different aspect of it. Kairos doesn't describe time as seconds ticking by, but it asks the question, what is this time for? More important, what is the opportunity that needs to be seized in this moment? So as an example, Kronos uh, would say it's 8 o'clock and it's time to go to Josiah's party. Kairos would say the purpose of this time is to have fun with our friends. Does that make sense? Kronos would say that it's 4 o'clock p.m. and unfortunately we need to be at a funeral right now. Kairos would say that this time is a time for mourning with loved ones. So make sure that's what you do. Can you understand the distinction? Both very integrally related to time, but the idea of one being something you measure and the other one being what is your focus. So Kronos and Kairos, what time is it and what is this time for? The idea of being present brings both of these together. When we talk about the idea of what it means to be present, we're saying, what time is it, right? What is going on right now? Let me be attentive to it, and then let me also be clear on what is this time for so I can focus on doing that. So it may be that, okay, this time, it's like 6 o'clock like, uh, uh, on a Monday night, 
This time is date time for my wife and I. It has been for years. What is this time for? For me to stop thinking about work, to stop getting distracted by anything else, and to focus on this time I'm listening to, spending time with, appreciating my wife. Being present means that's what I'm doing in this time. It combines those two ideas together. Does that all make sense? It's really important that it does because that's going to be how our kids are going to intersect with us today. So hopefully all the pictures are in um, and sent in. And I'm grateful again for you guys who have chosen to do that. And as a church, we're going to do a little exercise. We're going to put these pictures up on the screen one by one. And we'll take a moment to observe it. I might, because I can't keep my mouth shut, make a couple of comments about it. But as we view each picture, what we're going to do together as a church, if you happen to be here at our Pioneer service, is we're going to answer whether or not this picture has to do with Kronos time or Kairos time, right? We're just going to help. The kids are going to teach us how to distinguish between the two. You ready? Awesome. So go ahead and fire that one up. Oh, Christopher Hopkins. So he's drawn a clock. So if you guys were to say this is a picture of Kronos time or Kairos time, which one would it be? It would be Kronos. Very good, right? Because it's measurable time. Uh, a watchdog. Wow. Clara, that's really amazing. Um, so it is a clock uh, on a dog. Um, so maybe that dog has a purpose in mind for having a clock on him. Would this be considered Kronos or Kairos? It could be a bit of both, right? It's measuring time, but it's also making a declaration on what is this time designed to be for. And evidently the dog has some plan for time that we don't know about yet, but we're going to ask Clara next time we see her. Awesome. Great picture. Uh, Jocelyn Sowell, uh, 9 o'clock or 12.45? I can't, no, it's 9 o'clock. Awesome. Great job. And so is this a picture of Kronos or Kairos? Kronos time. Very good. Uh, Trip Kirk's time machine. So evidently Trip wants to like break the fourth barrier and enter into uh, a time machine. So for him, when he's thinking about creating a time machine, is he thinking about Kronos time or is he thinking about Kairos time? Kairos, right? He's saying, hey, what is this? So it's not a specific time that he's necessarily focused on, but it's like, what is it that we want to accomplish right now? So very good. Uh, Helena, finish your work by 10 o'clock so you can play. Um, that's a good one. Kronos or Kairos? It's both, isn't it? Yeah, because it's saying there is an actual Kronos time, 10 o'clock p.m., but what is that time for, right? There's a meaning behind that time, and that time is, all right, don't get busted so mommy and daddy won't spank me, right? There's a, a purpose that we need to be able to, oh, no, so we can play. Gotcha. Wyatt Hart Hardman, time makes us grow up. Oh. One, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, he's, that animal is maturing. Wow, that is very cool. Wyatt, you're amazing, buddy. Kronos, Kairos. Give me Kairos. It's also Kronos, right? It, because it is a measurable time. Over time, this animal is growing, right? There's no real defined purpose unless you say that the purpose sometimes really is just growing up. But it's a lot more it's Kairos time, right? It's, it's taking the time to grow up. Over time, we all grow. Um, next one. 
One, two, three, four, five, gray. Gray, I love the simplicity in which you go at this. Chronos, Kairos. Chronos, right? Measurable time. Junie, morning, noon, and night. Cool. Chronos, Kairos. Chronos, right? There's not in here inherently the meaning of what that time is. It's simply measurable, right? Good. Uh, we love each other having a good time, Susie K. Kronos or Kairos? This is Kairos, right? It's not an issue of measurement. It's like in this moment, what we want to do is have a good time. That's the purpose of why we're together. Good job, Susie. And then father time. <laughs> um, I don't know what this one is, honestly. <laughs> but, you know, you've, uh, you've gone beyond where we could go, Luke. That's a great picture. Awesome. What I like about time is that there's so much time in a day that you can have so much fun with your family. Briella, Briella, that is beautiful. I love that. Kronos or Kairos? Kairos, right? Absolutely. She understands the purpose of how she wants to spend her time. That's amazing. Thank you. Warren, over time we travel. Our family at church and our house. Awesome. Kronos, Kairos. Kairos, right? Understand what the purpose of time is. Fantastic. Thank you guys so much. Kids, that was amazing. And honestly, because of your pictures, I'm going to bet everyone in this room and everyone watching has a better understanding of the distinction between those two. So thank you so much, kids, for helping teach a very important lesson today. You guys are so smart, and I'm so grateful for you. Uh, so church, I want to jump back in. Uh, with a verse from the book of Ephesians that ties these ideas together. So we've got Kronos, we've got Kairos, we're like the two together somehow have to do with being present, but I'm not sure how, and where's God in all this? And in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, God shares this, or the Apostle Paul shares this in the scriptures. Pay careful attention then to how you walk. So pay attention, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil what is paul commanding the church to do he's saying pay attention to how you walk or another way of saying it pay attention to how you're living life if you want to be wise about it and not foolish here's how make the most of your time why because the days are evil if the days are peaceful and good what would the command be Relax and enjoy it. But because the days are evil, what does God say to do? Don't waste the time you've been given. Make the most of it. That's the key to living wisely. The way we make the most of time is exactly what we've been talking about today. Being present, right? That I am. Now, we can't be that mindful every second of our days. We just don't have the attention span, the ability to focus that well. But the key to living a wise life from these passages is to make the most of your opportunities. And that is the key, not only to living a great life, but the key to effective evangelism. Effective evangelism begins with the understanding that certain moments give birth to certain opportunities. And the way we respond in those moments, the way we seize those opportunities makes all the difference. So can I share a couple of practical examples then of what effective evangelism might look like? So effective evangelism understands three things. One, today people want conversation more than they want to be told what to believe. 
People are more interested in conversation than being told what to believe. Nobody today wants to be told what they should believe. Nobody wants you to come up to them and tell them that you're going to hell unless you believe in Jesus. Nobody wants to be approached that way. So take your prepackaged um, gospel presentations and set them aside. Put them away. Unless your plan, unless your goal is to have a one-time conversation. If your goal is to have a one-time conversation, then fine, maybe you can bring them out, and maybe that's what's going to work most effectively. Otherwise, leave them behind. If we're going to be having an ongoing conversation, set those prepackaged gospel um, messages aside. And what should you do instead? Ask a thoughtful question. Start a conversation. Which leads us to point two, I said three, two. Christians must have an unshockable ear. Christians must have an unshockable ear. Uh, for a number of years, I used to have this in the conversation more, and we've kind of gotten away from it, but I want to come back to it. The idea of an unshockable ear is people are more willing to talk if they know you're willing to listen. People are more open to talking if you're willing to listen, so listen to them. One of the things I used to share with our church about the way, what I mean by listening to them, is to have what I call an unshockable ear. It's what I was taught in the counseling training that I got, right? And the idea of an unshockable ear isn't that you never get surprised. That's not possible. But that whenever you're listening to someone, listen first without leaping to judgment, without jumping to conclusions, and without assuming you know what they're going to say next. An unshockable ear means I listen without uh, leaping to conclusions or jump, leaping into judgment, jumping to conclusions, or assuming that I know what they're going to say next. I have one and you should too, right? The other thing that having an unshockable ear does is having an unshockable ear allows you to continue the conversation rather than end it. That's what shockable ears do. Shockable ears end the conversation because shockable ears get uncomfortable and they don't want to continue talking and so they shut the conversation down. Sometimes they shut the conversation down because I'm afraid of where this might go by walking away. But more often what we do is we throw back a certain statement that the other person can't do anything with, right? And instead of exploring together in conversation, we shut the conversation down by focusing on certainty. And Christians do that with evangelism all the time. So let me share a practical example of that. So I want you to listen to the difference in these two examples, right? The first one is, so it's someone asking the same question and two different responses. So the question is, uh, for example, so you're saying that if I don't believe in Jesus, I'm going to hell? That's the question. So you're saying, if I don't believe in Jesus, I'm going to hell. The Christian answer would be, yeah, that's what the Bible teaches. If you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to hell. Hello, conversation ender, right? What is the other person supposed to do with that? If that's your response, so you're saying that if I don't believe in Jesus, I'm going to go to hell. Yes, that's exactly what the Bible teaches. What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to get angry is one response, right? Well, forget that. That's not the type of God I want to, you understand? Or I walk away, but you're not leaving any room for me to have a conversation with you. You shut it down by your quote-unquote certainty and truth. Or you could alternatively answer this way, right? Uh, so you're saying, if I don't believe in Jesus, I'm going to hell. I appreciate you, ask, I appreciate you asking that question. If I may ask, what would it mean for you 
if the answer is yes. That changes everything, doesn't it? The statement's in, the, in a way still the same, right? I appreciate you asking the question, but if I can ask, what would it mean to you if I told you the answer was yes? Now you've opened the door for the other person to not get defensive, to not be offended, but to say, that's a great question too. Here's what it means for me. It would mean my grandmother's going to heaven. Well, that changes the conversation entirely, doesn't it? Right? Or it means that God, if, if that's true, then it means that God is really an unjust God. Yeah, that's good to know. Let's talk about what that means. Right? On and on. It opens the door for conversation. It doesn't shut it down. That's what an unshockable ear does. It says, I'm not going to jump to judgment. I'm not going to resort. I'm not going to assume I know why you're asking this question. I'm simply going to open up the door to have further conversation. Do you see the difference? All too often, I think evangelism in the past has been focused on when you hit that moment, here's the right answer and the right way to say it. And that's just, I think that's just not right, right? I, I shared an example, but that's not what you should say in that moment. I'm just saying respond authentically. I'm not assuming I know. I'm wondering what this question means to them, and I'm patient enough to take the time to find out. So, uh, people want conversation rather than being told what to believe, and Christians need to have an unshockable ear. And finally, being open and humble is better than being certain. Being open and humble is better than being certain. In the past, certainty was considered an asset in evangelism. That's what apologetics is, right? It was a movement that arose and came to fore. I mean, apologetics, there's always been apologetics, but over the course of the 90s, because I lived through it, apologetics was like at the forefront, having an answer for those who question or ask questions it was, the, was a central tenet of how and why we should be trained apologetics. Because when people ask a question, as Christians, we need to have an answer. But here's what happened, honestly, looking back on that time, the focus on Christians having the right answer eventually led to other people not asking questions anymore. Did you notice that? They're not asking. Because they don't care anymore about your static prepackaged answers. And that's what's changed. And that's why that method isn't as effective today as it might have been back then. So one of the challenges of being a Christian today is to be a person of conviction while still being open to different ideas. That is a challenge of being a Christian today, is to be a woman or man of conviction while still being open to different ideas. And I want to be clear, this is a tension to manage, not a problem to resolve. If you lean too strongly on the side of conviction, then what happens is you come across as narrow-minded, intolerant, and arrogant, right? That's, if I lean too far on the side and say conviction has to be backed up by truth, and I need to share that truth every opportunity I've got, that's what happens. You come across as narrow-minded, intolerant, and arrogant. But the other side of being open, right, uh, being open to different ideas can mean that I end up losing conviction and I compromise faith. We don't want to lean too far on that side either. Both extremes are dangerous. That's why this is a tension to manage, not a problem to resolve. You don't have to resolve by saying I'm on one end or the other. There's, and being in the middle is always going to be a gray area. It's a tension to manage. The best conversations happen between equals. When you present yourself as being the expert and that you're certain you're right, it turns people off. And your influence is going to be limited. Let God's spirit work. He's the one that will lead people to truth, not certainty. About four or five years ago, um, I had the opportunity to really get to know Brian. Uh, I'd known him for a few years before that because I knew his sister pretty well, and I knew his brother pretty well, and for a time I was discipling his brother. And, uh, but I didn't really get to know Brian. 
and things changed about four or five years ago. And part of what changed is he was going, he was struggling with a number of life problems. And so we started to meet. And it was a relationship that honestly was a bit off and on. Uh, sometimes we met, sometimes we didn't. But uh, in the times we met, each time we met, a little bit more trust was built. Uh, sometimes during our times together, I talked about God, and other times I didn't. We just talked. Uh, sometimes he would listen, and sometimes he wouldn't. And uh, I remember at, uh, at some point, um, years later, we've been having this dance for two, two and a half years, and uh, he gave me a call one night and uh, said, hey, Frank, would you be up for tomorrow going to dinner? And uh, I paused briefly, just kind of thinking about my schedule, and he's like, hey, I'm buying. I'm there. Right? So, yeah. <laughs> yep, I'm there. So, uh, we ended up showing up, and uh, we were having dinner together, and, and he just had a, he was just sharing his heart with me. And he said, Frank, I just want to let you know I'm tired of living life the way I'm living it right now, and I want to live it differently. And again, we've been talking about God and having conversations, and, and Brian believed in God, but just wasn't ready to take that step in becoming a Christian. And so, for me, I, I was having my counselor hat on. I was having that unshockable ear. I was being patient. I was like, yeah, so what does that mean for you? What are you telling me? And he looks at me, and, and Brian's a really blunt guy, and he's like, Frank, I invited you to dinner so you could tell me how to have a relationship with God. That's what I want. Can you just tell me how to do that? And I'm like, that's as blatant and for upfront as I've ever heard it. So that's what we did. And that, that night, I had a chance to lead my friend to Christ. And it's been amazing to see the way God has blessed him and grown him over the course of these past couple of years uh, as we've been spending that time together, right? I share that story and, and, and the things that everything that we that have shared this morning, and I, I just want to be uh, expressed to you, I, I know the, the road has been a bit windy this morning, and I apologize for that. My wife got on me last night and just said, hey, make it a clear line, make it the straight line and stop going all this way, Jeremy bear me, right? Um, and I appreciate all of you following along as best you could. The question I wanted to answer today, just to remind you, was how? If I've created margin in my life, and I've built relationships with some non-Christians in my workplace, my neighbors, wherever that may be, how do I share the gospel with them? That's what the question we've been trying to answer, at least beginning in terms today. And what I hope you've learned from this morning is the starting point is to be present with them. Stop thinking about past encounters and everything. Stop thinking about the future and your pre-planned gospel presentation, hoping that, well, if he says this, then I've got this is what I'm going to say. If he says this, I've got... Stop. Just be with them. Make them... And, and to be present, here's what I mean specifically, right? It means make the most of the opportunities you have. If it's five minutes, then make it a good five minutes, right? You don't have to talk about God, but talk about something meaningful or memorable, right? Uh, if you have longer than that, then ask the Lord to help you recognize opportunities where you can start a God conversation with them. Being present for you doesn't mean I introduce God at every conversation. It means I'm paying attention. And if God moves, I move with him. Second, maintain conversations rather than ending them. That's what we've been talking about, right? Evangelism isn't about telling people what they're supposed to believe. Ask a thoughtful question. Get to know why they think and why they believe the way they do. Show them your unshockable ear. And then finally, choose humility and openness over having the right answers. Your life and your character matter. People really are watching. So be humble. Be open. Be considerate. 
when I'm teaching, again, I want to reiterate this. When I'm teaching this idea of Jesus Christ, it, it is a skill. It's, nothing, it's not a skill that any of us, it's not an ability that we're born with. It's a skill that we all have inside. And so as we're learning it, I want to remind you that being present so you don't get frustrated is not something anyone can do every second of the day. It's just not possible. We can't make the most of, when, we, when God says make the most of every opportunity, it doesn't mean that every second I have has to be infused with meaning or else I've wasted time. That's not the idea of it. None of us can focus that well. But what it does mean, the way to be present in everyday living is to recognize those moments where giving my fullest attention will result in something seeing good. That's what being present means. It means that if a moment arises, usually in relationship over past, where an eternal difference can be made, then I should give that moment my fullest attention. I want to close with a verse and an action step that I want to challenge you all to take this week. So the verse is from the book of Colossians. Paul is sharing this to the church who's experienced new life in Christ. And, and Paul is saying, in light of our salvation, this is how you are to treat others. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 14. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. This is what being present with someone looks like. These are qualities forged in the past, but you don't save them up for the future. They're designed to be used in the present. So use them. Spend it. And finally this week, I want you all to do something. So if you haven't been taking notes, get your pen out now and start taking notes. An action step, if you will. And I'll put it up here so that you can take a picture of it if you didn't bring a pencil or pen or whatever the case may be. But here's the action step. I want you this week, all of you, to ask yourselves these two questions. First, who is God been putting in my life in recent weeks? Who has God been putting into my life in recent weeks? That's the first question. And if you have a list of names or one person, whatever, they, and if it helps to write them down, write them down. But I just want you to start meditating. Lord, who are the people you've been putting in my life over the course of the past few weeks? Because maybe that's a sign you want me to interact with them, right? And secondly, how can I make an opportunity to spend some time with them? And spend some time with them could be meaning praying with them. It could be maybe we don't get time together, but I'm praying for them. It could mean have a conversation with them. It means, man, I got to step out and just start a conversation. It could even mean serving them in some way. I don't know what it means, but I'm saying that these are the two things I want you guys to consider. Who has God been putting into my life in recent weeks? And then how can I make an opportunity to get some time with them? And of course, assumed in that time, be present. And the coming week as the Lord leads you on this, here's what I would love for you to do. That as you're answering these questions and taking advantage of the opportunities, as God gives you those opportunities, would you just send me a text or an email and just let me know? It doesn't have to be anything dramatic. It can be as simple as, yeah, I had a conversation today. We didn't actually talk about God, but I took a step out in faith and talked. 
of Christmas. Praise the Lord. Can we all do that? Not just here, but at home. That's how we're going to be moving forward this week as friends. Amen? Amen. Let me close out in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the joy and privilege of being able to sit at your feet. And Lord, I pray, and I know maybe this doesn't happen because this is recorded and sometimes we, start, we listen to it while driving the car or out doing activities, but Lord, I just pray that for all of us, we stop living these distracted, hurried lives and understand what it is to be more mindful of the time you've given us of being able to take those moments pregnant with opportunities and to seize them and make the most of them. That, Lord, you never designed us to have every part of our lives rushing from this place to the next. That's not how you've called us to live. Instead, what you've taught us and what you've instructed from your word is to observe opportunities and make the most of them. And, Lord, I pray that we would do so. And I pray that you help us to take a step back to breathe, to be able to see how you're leading, to recognize the movement of your spirit, and to move right alongside with you. God, I know we're living in a time where there's a lot of reasons to be anxious, a lot of reasons to be fearful, a lot of reasons to be running around like chickens with our heads cut off, a lot of reasons to be reactive. And Lord, that's the way the world lives. And I pray that that would not be how our lives end up being pray, Lord, that you teach us and remind us what it is to live under the authority of Christ, what it means to live uh, trusting you and that you've got us in your hands. To be able to have confidence and to make the most of the moments you give us, whether they're for work or for play or for connection or relationship with others. We love you so much, and we're so grateful for you. We're so grateful for this time. We thank you for this time in your faith. I do want to pray in particular that you keep us all safe. Uh, that you guard us from illness, and uh, Lord, that your will would be accomplished even in the midst of this pandemic. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.